Because we're on the air right now, let's just use the phone. We're on the air now. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Hello, Michael. All right, hello. Hold on one second. Good evening, everyone, and thanks for tuning in. Tonight, my special guest is renowned poet Bill Nevins. Good evening, Bill, and welcome to the program. Uh, Hello, Michael. Um, Thank you very much for having me. I hope you can hear me okay. I can can hear you. We're going to make this happen. We're going to make it happen. How are you tonight? I'm okay. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Great. All right. All right. We're going to make it happen. Let's begin this journey together, okay? You know. Yes. It's great to hear you, though. Yes. All right. Well, let me ask this question, and we'll see if we can make this work. We're having some technical difficulties, good people, but we'll make this work. What is poetry, Bill? What do you, how do you define poetry? <laughs> how do I define poetry? Um, well, you know, that's a good question. Um, if we can, there we go. Yeah, well, it's the thing that, I'd say it's the thing that holds us together, both as individuals, mm. um, individual minds and souls and communities. Um, I, I mean, I'd say the world turns in the gravitational force of poetry. It's almost like glue. Wow. (laughs) You sound, let me say this, you sound great. I can hear you perfectly. So we're we're on our way. (laughs) You say it's like a gravitational force. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. It it, uh, tends to inform what holds humanity together in, uh, in some ways. Yeah. Oh, wow. Beautifully stated. You're the first person who's ever described it that way, so I really like your answer. I really like your answer. Thank you very, very much. All right. I I also feel that it is, uh, at root, it's song. Uh, Obviously, Mm -hmm. it started as song, and uh, it might be an individual song to oneself or collective song that we sing together down the years and down the centuries and it can be sung in words it could even be sung silently in movements and actions um for example the the walk that uh, my friend bill du bois did in the mountains of nepal to write his book the trail to kanjaroba where he walked around mm-hmm. many of the mount himalayas i think of that as poetry it also as a prayer as you think about your work, what are some of the predominant yeah. themes? Um, well, let's see. I write about war. I also write about peace, um, love, loss. There's often some ironic or satirical observations of our times, history. Um, sometimes... I'd say it's the music that leads me to some possible sort of sense. So sometimes it's about the poetry itself. Wow, beautiful. How does a, how does a poem begin for you? With an idea, a form, or an image? You mentioned music. How else does it begin for you? Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Um, I rarely try to write in you know set forms, such as sonnets or haiku or villanelle. Um, though I've done that, but as an exercise, I, I suppose I write from ideas, which then develop as a result of the rhythm, the rhymes, and as you say, the music of the poem's lines. Um, I tend to use a form of probably dramatic monologue that comes out of such greats as Matthew Arnold and T.S. Eliot and Kel Robertson and James McMurtry. Uh, All right. James McMurtry friend tells me the persona speaking is not always or precisely the author writing the poem. I reserve the right to have voices other than 
Bill Nevin speaking my poems. Wow. Please share a poem. Sure. Um, let's see. This poem is in memory of my dear friend who died at the beginning of the uh, COVID epidemic. Uh, his name was Bob Warren, and he has some beautiful poems out there. Um, but he liked to call himself Coot Vicious. So the poem is called Coot Vicious in Memory. <laughs> he took right. that email handle just half in jest, half in dead seriousness. He was old enough to raise a righteous fist if he must. He was young enough to call out the phony, the unjust. Like John Brown, bearded and fierce, he held his Bible in one hand, dear brother, an avenging sword, good sister, in the other. He would not dance your minuet, nor force a sonnet or fold your old A pontoon or villanelle seemed to him pretentious as hell. Yet his litanies, adopted or not, burn like curses, like prayers. You would not want to meet him in the Valencia County, New Mexico, dark. Yet he brought light anywhere in this wide world he went, deep into Detroit, Texas, Orque, Los Lunas, your open heart. And a laugh, and a warning fresh and stern. Here's the damn good news. Take the gospel seriously, ye Christians, or face the wrath of conscience of a son of man risen and fury to confront you with a 357 magnum or a taut line of poesy. Take his name in vain, Coot Vicious, at your peril. Forget him not, comrades. He walks the earth like ye and me. He watches, have no fear. Bring the next fiery wave. Souls were born to save. Wow. Oh, very nice. You know, I can already tell it's going to be a wild night, Bill. (laughs) That was incredible. (laughs) I really liked it. (laughs) I like that. What? What what moves you to write a poem? What is the core impulse for you? Um, good question. Um, often some event that's happened, although that event I might find it in memory, so it isn't always an yes. immediate event. I, I sometimes will write poems that, you know, uh, respond to current crises or very upsetting things that are going on. Um, and sometimes I just write poems because I'm in a mood, either a good one or an angry one or um, perhaps a sad one. Um, yeah. You know, sometimes I imitate other people too. Yeah. All right. All right. You know, let's go back in time. What was an early experience where you learned that poetic language had power? Oh, gosh. I... Uh, was in uh, grade school, and uh, I went to a ca- uh, Catholic parochial um, grade school with the nuns, you know, and um, mm-hmm. I was reading some um, Lewis Carroll, you know, their nonsense poems and things out of Alice in Wonderland, and so I wrote a rhyming poem um, that the nuns loved. They loved it so much that they urged me. <laughs> Well, they gave me good grades, you know, besides the fact that my grandfather was the commander of the police force, but they smiled on me. Right. They they liked my rhyming poem. And then they urged me to write religious poems, and that led me to try to write some religious poems. Some were very pious, and some were downright scary and terrifying. I I don't think I have those anymore. Thank God. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> uh, you know, it's one of my questions to you. Was going to be later on. Has a poem ever frightened or humbled you? Yeah. Uh, the question: uh, Do you mean one of my own poems or one of the poems? one of your own poems? Yes. Because um, you know, uh, 
Daddy by Sylvia Plath scares the hell out of me, as does much of T.S. Eliot. But uh, out of my own poem, yeah, yeah, I've been scared by my own poems. I, I wrote a poem when I was probably about 16 years old uh, about the dark night, and I, I thought it was supposed to be about Halloween, but it ended up being so scary that it frightened me to read it. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because a 16-year-old could go, and that's, that's pretty deep, pretty dark. That's pretty deep. deep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all, all great writers have great writing influences. Who are some of yours? You may have mentioned some already, but what makes them great in your eyes, your writing influences? That's a real good question. Um, well, there are many, um, you know, and and Marie McCurran, who just published uh, the Poison Glen, Irish writer, is a huge influence to me right now. Um, tough-minded, anti-sentimental poetry of people like Jack Hirschman, the late poet laureate of of uh, San Francisco. Um, in earlier years, John Donne, T.S. Eliot, uh, James Wright. Um, Kel, Ro- Kel Robertson is an outlaw poet who is a close friend. Um, songwriters like Bob Dylan, of course, and James McMurtry, Warren Zevon, and uh, Rambo, Sylvia Plath, Adrian Rich. I keep going on with these wow. names. Uh, Yates was a wow. huge influence. I read Yates when I was quite young, and I read everything. Well, everything that was available then, I read the whole book, you know. And uh, that was a huge influence. Uh, as was Shakespeare. I, I lived, as a young person, I lived near a Shakespeare theater, so I was able to go and see the plays uh, being acted. Um, Bob Marley, uh, you know, prose writers like Hemingway and uh, Robert Stone and John Hawkes, um, they're all kind of tough writers. Um, and, you know, Allen Ginsberg and Gregory Corso were, were great influences on me, and I, I met I met Ginsburg. I wrote, I exchanged some letters with Corso, but I never met him. But um, but I got to see Ginsburg quite a bit. So yeah, those are. Oh wow! So if one of those individuals could have served as your poetry mentor, who would you have chosen? That's a lot of names <laughs> to choose from. I have to choose. I I think I'd have a hell of a time hanging out with Arthur Rambeau. You know, we would we would we would be my poetry mentor, and we would run guns and uh, you know probably pick up a few samples. <laughs> but he was a great writer, although he did write in English, and I don't write in French. Um, so I would have to say I would choose William Butler Yeats out of the bunch. You know, if I had to pick. All right. And and why is that? Yeah, why is that, sir? Me how to flee. He would teach me how to be both very serious and very silly, and almost okay. sometimes at the same. Yep. You know, poetry is often about emotions, some emotion that you want to vent. Do you think that someone can be called a poet if they don't feel strong emotions? No, I don't think so. I, I'd have a hard time with that. Um, you know, certainly there is intellectual poetry. Um, and I, I, you know, I have a background as a journalist, so I tend to be kind of fact drawn. Um, but if you don't put the feeling into it, what do you got? You know, you got to be lose if you want to lose. Wow. I like that. Well, please share, uh, please share another poem. You want to have a poem? Okay. Hang on. Yes. Um, <laughs> I got I got a lot of poems here, so you know I can I can throw. Yes, I love you. This is your night. <laughs> Apocalypse. This this one's short. Apocalypse Dow, uh, you know T A O. Apocalypse Dow or Faralitos in the Solstice Dark, and uh, it starts with a quote from James McMurtry. I'm washing down my blood pressure pills with a Red Bull, and here's the poem. <laughs> Omni, what the hell, Crom? You don't say. Sounds like some monster robot came to ruin our holiday. 
hey, but it might be okay, hush my mouth, if we just blockade Africa and all the world south, inject our crescent northern populations, zoom soothing pontoons, smoke some mota, play more D&D, homies. Maintain passive online meta nation who shall republic with the newly freed barbarians while the crowned war chiefs rattle rockets at the Ruskies and chinks. But never fear, just buy some more Bitcoin as the real economy sinks, as we keep the empire's lights shining bright. Oh, say, can you see? As our wise elders apply paternalistic calm and reason, not unlike dear Pope Frank in his wisdom, and trim our expectations this shaky Christmas season. Wow. That's my Christmas month. Wow. What I like about your work <laughs> is that it's real. <laughs> you don't pull any punches, and I like that. I like that a lot. With that in mind, they say, don't ask me who they is, but they say (laughs) that to see the world with complete honesty, one should look to comedians, musicians, artists, and poets. What do you think emerges naturally from your body of work? Oh, that's a good one. Um, Well, I would think um, some comedy, you know, I mean, it may be somewhat dark. Uh, kind of in-your-face comedy, um, some satire, especially satire of poets and poetry. <laughs> but uh, okay, okay, I would say a serious message emerges from it. Yeah, and I, I do think that um, uh, you know my, my good friend uh, uh, Jimmy Santiago Baca coined the phrase "rage into the page." So I think that there is anger, if not rage, coming out of my poetry at times, and I think it's just a poem. Share another poem. Sure. Um, this poem, um, it, it comes from an Irish, I come from an Irish background, it comes from an Irish Gaelic word, uh, which means rise up, okay? And the, so the title of the poem is Aishiri. Aishiri, fall lightly to that blue light. This poem is not me. This flight may be fancy, but never worry if we fall. Don't fret. This text is not you either. We can fly free in this song, whomever we may be. This cold round, forget your parachute. Trust your king. It's like that eerie December concert when Miles Davis turned his back on us but held one delicious aching note for what seemed all night long. And then he left the stage. Ite, Nisa, Est. And we silently filed out into that bleak Massachusetts night. Michelangelo's Roman steps descend like a river without end. Yet, Ranier Rilke from his deep diving heart reminds us that everything serious is difficult. And yet, were it easy to find solitude together, as easy perhaps as sex can be, or were it as easy as it is to fall backwards into a rushing mountain stream, then we might tumble laughing past rapids round fierce rocks until we dream drift at last, no more asking why, out to that moon-tugged rolling sea towards that azure, endless sky. There we go. Wow. It was based on the you know, why. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Your voice is very distinctive. Actually, it's quite melodious. <laughs> right? What is the relationship yeah. between your speaking voice and your written voice? Um, I think I read in a 
slower cadence than I normally speak. Um, you know, someone else could tell me for sure, but I think that's the truth. I, I try my best to, um, you know, enunciate and articulate the words rather than slur them. And if I were just speaking, yes. I'd probably kind of run. Yeah. <laughs> Share another I, I probably slower. And I, okay, I okay. Uh, <laughs> I've got a poem here. You were talking about, well, I'll do this one. Carencia. Um, and Carencia is kind of the feeling of home among the people of northern New Mexico where I, I live. Um, All right. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're feeling of goodness. So the poem is titled, the poem is titled, Carencia, or the Pursuit of Happiness in Nuevo Mexico, 2021. And it starts with a little quote from Robbie Robertson. I work for the union because she's so good to me, and I'm bound to come out on top. That's where she said I should be. So the poem, Carencia. Once we all owned this land together with no barbed wire. A common land was free to fish, to hunt. To graze, to gather wood, riverbed, the high snow ridge, and beyond to Los Angeles. Now we own little but our dreams, our skills, our pride, our faith, our families, our vergüenza. Don't you see? These latter days, enchanted, beguiled, or befuddled by history, we are still free. Free to be rolling out deer hills so we might pay the blessed bills, cut some timber, build a house, string a fence for those who came here from good Lord knows where to live, to breathe our clear air, to pursue their happiness. We will haul them pignon and fine oak well split to warm their winters. We do not begrudge them their pursuit, their answered prayer. We have precious little, but we give what we have to give. They give what they will. They brought the great movies here to shoot by day, by night, on the high points on the ridge above their League lights blaring on the ridge we all once owned. And now, Arico, a rich man, rents from that spot. And now, a rich man rents from that spot, and it is not a bad thing. <clears throat> yeah, here we go. I'm sorry, I lost my line there for a second. That's all right. That's all right. A ridge we all once owned, and um, and our rich man rents in that spot. But we who have our faith hold tight to it as we work in the movies, as we bring in the, as we continue to live, as we see that our children will continue to grow in this land that is ours in this land where we are strong union folk working for good pay now on Solidaridad. And so we may rebuild our carencia here in this land of Los Manitos Bravos, this land we all own, together, where our children may study law or sing our holy songs, Pursuing their own delayed future dreams, pursuing their happiness. Don't you see? The Mr. Land once was free. It's in New Mexico, Paul. Wow. You know, I sense that you're very passionate about living in New Mexico, New Mexico and its people. How does that passion come out in your writing? How does it come out in your writing? Well, you know, I've been here for about 26 years, and so mm. it's inevitable to connect here to the people. 
Um, I, I I don't speak Spanish very well. I understand it pretty well, but um, okay. but I do, you know, understand the cultures, and so it, I try to bring it out. Sometimes I succeed. Sometimes I fail. Would you like to hear a poem that I think succeeds on New Mexico? Yes. Yes. Okay. And then forgive my Spanish pronunciation, okay? Okay, no problem. <laughs> I don't speak Spanish at all, so hey, it's perfect to me. Okay. All right. <laughs> the, the, the poem is titled, uh, Cancion Gringo Grito o Gobacho Sueño de Burque. And that in English would be a gringo's greeting or a white person's dream of Albuquerque. And it's dedicated to Keith Sanchez and his rock and roll stoic frame band, Homies Till the Wheels Fall Off. And here goes the phone. The iguana who winks, the old man who thinks, peeling green chile, stringing ristras of red, never talk to La Hora, as the cops. Say your prayers before bed. Celebrate San Patricio and Santana's guitar. When this road many years on, whistling gypsy rover over the hill, no, there'll be no Spanish goodbye song. Caminano such as this, de nosotros mismos, del siempre, on con tan donas, con nosotros mismos. Pasa llena corazón, contenta, gracias a Dios. I remember those tears, those strolls by the Rio, concetas magicas, those last, adios muños, those South Valley, Albuquerque sunsets, dark eyes, your grito so wild, waking to rooster crows, your smile and your question, scrambled or juicy vehicle? Oh, I reply. The ghetto birds buzzing, the cops overseeing your crops, bullets tapping down on tin roofs, rattle, da, da, of a New Year's Eve, the Cinco de Mayo, or a Fourth of July. Pase llena corazón contenta, gracias a Dios y la buena cocinera. Those lurking, pit bulls lunging, holding penitentes. Chanting, tequila shots, waving, Good Friday pilgrims climbing Tolme Hill, Mad Dog Stairs, Black Berets, Smoky Mota, Flaunted Bling, Hidden Guns, Michigan, Bad, Bad, Hunter Yenokozon, Contenta, Gracias a Dios. Playing hay bales, breathing soft through warrior sweats, and failing to learn how to make adobe brick funerals, limpias, the healing light, the Corandera's poetry as mad as midnight, and candles lit for the newly dead, the ancient dead. The prayers that were said, as all prayers must be said. Gracias a Dios y la buena cocinera. Oh, bad, huh? Oh, I like that. <laughs> Do you view your work as being controversial? Yeah, um, I was uh, recently <laughs> thrown out of the Mexico State Poetry Society. I like you already. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I ever joined, but, you know. <laughs> I got you know, Bill, <laughs> so much is happening in this world of ours. The good, bad, and indifferent of it all. What do you see as being the role of a poet in modern day society? Fully, you know, because not everyone is going to have the opportunity or the uh, 
recklessness or perhaps courage to speak out. So I think the poets need to. I vastly admire the the singers among us, and I also admire the young poets, the brave ones who get up at the poetry slams, even if they don't yes. know how to write a song. You know, but they say what's in their mind. <laughs> and, you know, I don't like it if they pander. You know, I don't want them telling me something just because they think I'm going to clap for them. No, no, no. Right. But so many of them bravely speak up and they say what's on their mind and they say it as best they can. Mm-hmm. So I think the poet mm-hmm. needs to be the pub- public voice. Uh, and it's not to say that there aren't a, a strong role for poets to be very private, to write about nature, you know, to write about the quiet times. Um, I, I don't do that very much, but my, my colleagues, you know, Michelle Otero and many other wonderful poets here, they do that very well. And so, you know, that's their territory. Um, but, yeah, I, I especially think the poets at this time need to be speaking up against, um, you know, some of the things that are bothering us, fascism yes. on the rise. War, yes, yes. Uh, and and of course the poverty and the destruction of the environment, which lead to those other horrors that I mentioned. Yeah. All right. Let's turn for a moment to your books. To your books. I want to talk about your books. All and Heartbreak Ridge. Tell me about all. Awe. Well, Awe is the more recent book. It came out uh, about two years ago, and uh, mm-hmm. it, it it is kind of a mix. There's, there's even some what I would call poetic prose in it, but it's largely poetry. Um, it does reflect mm-hmm. some of my life in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. It also reflects um, a long visit that I paid into Mexico, uh, where I, I spent a lot of time in the Yucatan Peninsula a few years ago, so I, I, that came into the thing. Uh, it also reflects some thoughts about war and history, and there's a long poem called Greasy Grass. It's very long, but it reflects my visits to the uh, the Wounded Knee uh, battlefield, and also to the um, greasy grass battlefield, which some people would say was Custer's last stand. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, not native, um, you know, and I, in those poems, I presume to speak from my own point of view uh, about the events that took place in history as they impacted the indigenous people. But it isn't, you know, kind of feeling sorry, it's feeling honor to them and bra- you know, honoring their bravery mm-hmm. standing up to invasion. Wow. And, uh, very nice. So some, there's some love poems in it. I don't know if I'm very good at that, but the love poems reflect the awe of love. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if you had to convince a friend or colleague to read all, what would you tell them? You should read this book because it's going to surprise you, and uh, you know you're going to find you're going to find a poem about a bunch of uh, somebody wandering around in Ireland and being surprised by a cow and thinking it's a ghost, and then you're also going to read quiet poems like like this one. Um, I'm going to read okay. one of the poems. Okay, so I like that. We hear only hush of wings. These angels who sweep around us, never a word spoken, never a sword drawn. Though their voices be strong, their hearts be brave, knowing that we would not remember if they spoke. We would not remember one soft word, nor recall one fiery Low. And so we greet them only with heart beats, as is the way of our kind, as is the way of this unknowing mind. Wow. Wow. I, you wow. Know, I went through 
war myself, uh, mm-hmm. not as uh, mm-hmm. in the U.S. Army, but I was in war zones and uh, as a journalist mainly. And my own son was a soldier and uh, was killed in the wars. Um, so yes. I, I have always had. Um, I was a conscientious objector to the Vietnam War and to wars after that. Mm-hmm. So you know, I've always had a very mixed feeling about it. I honor the bravery of people like my son, and I respect their decision. But I wish, I wish there were no recruiting. I wish that no one would join yes. the army. Some said that the way we end the war. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, what about Heartbreak Ridge? Tell me about Heartbreak Ridge. Heartbreak Ridge, um, it's titled after uh, the central fairly long poem in the book, uh, which is called Heartbreak Ridge. Um, And that poem um, is based on my long and somewhat convoluted meditations about the contradictions between my own life and my son's life. Uh, it yes. was written while he was alive, and he, you know, he got to read it, which I was very happy. I think he was puzzled by it. But he, he smiled, and laughed, and said, "Wow, that." <laughs> and uh, it, in the Heartbreak Bridge it, title comes from the fact that, well, there there is a you know a movie that Clint Eastwood made about Heartbreak. Yeah, Clint Eastwood, right, fact. right. But the Heartbreak Bridge that my son experienced was. Uh, when he um, contacted me, I think he phoned me from Afghanistan. He was a uh, mm-hmm. commando of special forces. And he phoned me from Afghanistan um, and said that the worst thing that happened to him had happened. One of his close friends had rolled off a mountain ridge in a vehicle and been killed. And uh, mm. he said he had seen you know, people killed in combat. This wasn't directly in combat, but it was in a combat zone. And he said, it just really hurt. It really, really hurt. And he just called, he phoned me to tell me how much it hurt. So I yes. titled the book Heartbreak Ridge, wrote the poem about that. Um, the, mm-hmm. the book is, it's the first book that I published. So it's, it's rather autobiographical. It, you know, it goes back poems into my uh, teenage years and childhood and, you know, I even have a poem about wandering around in New York City and meeting Allen Ginsberg and the Fugs and those guys. And uh, and then it comes to, you know, some poems that are more in the present time. Um, so, yeah, that's Heartbreak Ridge. Um, I, um, you know, it's kind of collecting things and choosing which ones I would, I would put into the book. And here they are. There's one funny. What su- well, what surprised you most about writing that particular book? What was the purpose in writing it? Um, no, what surprised you most? What did you learn oh, from writing that particular book? What surprised me? Um, gosh, that's a good question. It surprised me that I had this collection of, of poems that, you know, I, honestly, I'm not very orderly with my poetry. And, you know, they were written on napkins and pieces of paper and thrown in the boxes. <laughs> All right. And, and I got them organized. <laughs> I had an help me put them together but uh it surprised me that there was there was anger there was also some joy there's recollection um there were things that came out that i didn't even remember you know and then when i read the poems back in oh yeah you know there were time capsules made me feel Mm -hmm. like i you know there was a 20 year period where i hardly wrote any poetry at all and it made me feel like wow i wish but I didn't, you know. So this book was published mm-hmm. after that period. Yeah. Oh, wow. Do you have a poem from that book? Sure. Do you want a funny that one? That you can share? Yes. Either one. one. Whatever is on your heart. Whatever's on your heart tonight. No prisoners. What can I say? We met in Santa Fe, where she's got everything she needs. She's an artist. And she knew John Berryman. Poets. Poets are worse than lawyers, she said. Worse than mosquitoes. They're like the big flying cockroaches down south. They get in your hair. Poets tell you stories about anarchist painters who won't take cash from the cruel corporate state. And so they live in boxes 
made of cardboard under bridges, without parades, without canvas stretchers, without grants, without patrons, without brushes. Poets, she said, are like the syrup on a tent. They soak in until they wipe out all the taste of the pancake itself and fill it in with words. Words. Sweet. Sticky. Words. Poets. Make everybody else taste what they taste. She sighed. I hate fucking poets. She hissed. The first thing we do after the revolution, but still, all the poetry. I think that one got me thrown out of the poetry society. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, you are the man. You are the man. You are the man. <laughs> <laughs> You are the man. Now, <laughs> tell me about committing poetry in the times of war. That's what I want to hear about. The poetry film of the year. The movie. Um, well, of that year. You know, it came out in 2007. But uh, it was based, it was, a doc, it was supposed to be a documentary. It is a documentary. And it was based on events of uh, 2003, 2004. Um, in, in Greece, I was uh, hired um, by a, a high school, a public high school, to uh, teach and also to um, coach and organize a uh, slam poetry team. Uh, the slam oh, wow. poetry team um, of young people um, was, and I brought in my friends. I brought in a lot of poets from New Mexico, so we had. I would consider the best poetry team in the country. We would have won all the contests. But one of the poets, a wonderful young woman, wrote a poem in which she satirized the uh, president of the United States, who was George W. Bush at that time, satirized him and asked, if you can have two wars, you've got a war in Afghanistan and now you're going to have a war in Iraq, uh, how come you can have two wars and we have homeless kids living on the streets of Albuquerque, shaking cans, saying, please, mister, give me something so I can get some food. And how come teachers aren't getting paid well uh, when you've got two wars going on? And how come, um, it, it, how come it's true that um, you have these uh, stickers on your car that say, God bless America? And if you just took the B, you'd be telling the truth. God bless America. Um, well, when that kid read that poem over the closed-circuit television system in the high school, I was hauled into the principal's office. And I was suspended and then fired, and then the team was shut down, and the poor children who had been only speaking their minds were hauled in and subjected to something like the, uh, the Spanish Inquisition. You know, no one expects that. And uh, wow. it was terrible. Fortunately, a wonderful group of lawyers from the American Civil Liberties Union and the National Lawyers Guild forward uh, filed federal lawsuits against that school. And um, I, I and my lawyers ended up uh, being given an awful lot of money, you know, in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Wow. Pretty much in cash. And uh, we, were, we were surprised that the school forgot to say there should be a gag order on this. So they didn't. So we held a press conference and said, you know, we won. I didn't want to go back to teach there, so I didn't. But I, I taught other places, and I became a university professor eventually. But, um, but after that, a movie developed from it, which was originally a fundraising movie, going to be a fundraising movie to help with a lawsuit. However, uh, the lawsuit settled. So the movie was made, and it includes, um, you know, it's from 2004, 2005 time, but it includes some of the great poetry performances of that time in New Mexico and in New York and other parts of the country because we went on a 
a freedom of speech tour across the country, which is called Poetic Justice. And uh, Joy Harjo allowed me to use that name. <laughs> she said, that's okay. And, uh, um, so the movie is a, it's a long one. It's about two hours long. You can find it on Vimeo, or you can buy it through Amazon for a few dollars. And uh, it's called Committing Poetry in Times of War. I, I think it's most wow. valuable for the performances that are in there. Not not you know not it's a story of me, but it's not mostly about me. It's about the uh, young poets, and uh, some of those some of those performances hold up extremely well and are very very current. You know they're they're very relevant. I mean the movie in a way looks like it was made yesterday because they're speaking up and very strongly. So that's what. Do you have a poem from the film? Do you have a poem from the movie? Uh, I've got a poem that's relevant to the movie. Can I do that? Okay, I like I'd like to hear it. Yes. Here we go. It's. uh, it's a, I mean, it was written a little bit after the movie, but not. But it's of the themes that are in the movie. Um, it's called uh, Kabul Sunset. Mourn your dead now, land of the free. Dedicated to Ian Fishback, a very brave soldier. Um, Kabul Sunset. As proud robed Mujahideen give wary thanks in bearded faces to Allah, the ruins of forward operating bases, daubed in sad skull graffiti boasts of long departed Yankees, each those of rusting Russian tanks. I have heard or read wise point words. They've sewn together my shifting, drifting worlds. Kipling, Shakespeare, John Prime, James Wright, Lennon, Dylan, whatever gets me tonight. Larry Kerwan's Fallujah song or Patrick Sky diving into the wreck of the Iliad's line with sweet ocean long or some coffee Irish bard, hoping not to shatter. I read old battle poems for weary Solace for my own true boy gone to war for so long. Starflecked American war guidance above each letterhead. Rest assured, sir, you are in our thoughts. Albuquerque's sun rise for him as I feared he now had no eyes. That awful morning. Long ago, I was a foolish dad, for he saw, I know. I went mad a month then as I wrote frantic lines, over bass and other cries, bitter signs. I knew he was dead. We've gone years now to these coronavirus times. Changed utterly, as old Yates said. Do old poets ever heal as nations move on? In Narragold sunset blaze of Sunday of the beloved dead, when all holy red banners had finally set, the dark came to wrap our mortal souls. Spanish prayers were said, and yes, at peace we are, he and I. These many years of peace, dropping slow these years of a war that should have ended long ago. Gracias. So there's Bill? That. Wow. Yeah. Do you think you were meant to be a poet? Do you think you were meant to be a poet? Yeah. I think so, yeah. You know, tell I, me, I, tell I, me, I tell me why. <laughs> so I had to have a job, but yeah, I probably was meant to be a poet, yeah. Because, you know, I because I do that pretty well, you know. I'm not, I, okay. I'm not sure I do everything else really well, but, <laughs> but I also think it, it kind of is in the blood, you know. It's, it, it comes down through the the years and uh, the centuries, and uh, 
something attracted me to songs and music and mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't just the radio, you know, it was something okay. that pushed me there. So perhaps that was uh, whatever you might call it, fate or destiny or bad luck. But <laughs> All right. Well, a question for you. If you could tell your younger writing self anything, what would it be? You've been writing a while. What would you tell your younger writing self now that you know everything that you know about writing? Probably tell them don't – well, you know, I I tell them what anyone would tell the younger self. Don't don't worry. It's probably going to be all right. You know, um, Mm -hmm. don't don't get – don't get so anxious. Um, As far as the writing end of it goes, I probably would encourage them to write more. Mm You know, to say, um, you, you know, you're doing pretty good, but uh, it's the way um, um, the the way of the world to be distracted by other things and uh, to, you know, get involved in, you know, family, raising children, falling in love, getting drunk, getting a job, uh, getting fired, getting another job, all that stuff. And I would probably yes. say to my inner self, stuff's going to happen, you know. But don't forget, you got to keep writing. Just, just you know, keep writing. Keep writing. Right, right, right. Also, I would say read. And I, you know, I must say mm. I did read a lot, but could have read more. Um, mm-hmm. I once sat here with a good friend, uh, uh, Hakeem Bellamy, a wonderful poet, and uh, Linton Kwesi Johnson. You know, I, I got to introduce them to each other. And Linton just leaned mm-hmm. over to uh, Hakeem and he said, "Blood, how much you read?" You're not reading enough. Read more. Mm. You got to read everything. Yeah. <laughs> so there's wow. Nice read even more. Read even more. Wow. Yeah. Share a poem with us, please. Sure. Um, Siberia. C Y B E R I A. With the commissars of poetry. I dreamt I was Comrade Yatushenko, dodging <laughs> or losing KGB. I dreamed that I joined the State Poetry Society. Meetings every Tuesday with cold old pizza while they find rhymes. I got this shit. They cut my wrists. And they sucked real hard. And then they sent me a membership card. You're one of us now, lad. Blood in, out. We love you and your pantoons. Of that, there's no doubt. It was better than the gulag, I guess. But then, Tavarici got much I jumped there with Mayakovsky and the Soviet versifiers bill caught me. Made me pay dues to spit out true anti-imperialist ML poetry. So I composed a sonnet about Allen Ginsberg's shoe, illegal <laughs> Mescal, Glasnost, and Gorbachev's tattoo. Then the dream ended all of a sudden, and I dozed off anew. Slept so well, friends, I woke up like Zhivago wrapped in an ice. Blue haiku. Oh, that okay? oh, I like that. I like that. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. You know, writers and poets write for a myriad of reasons. Some write primarily to speak a message to their audience. Others write because to stay silent is not an option. Bill, why do you write? I, well, you just said why, but because to stay silent is not an option, even though it might be mm. you know, better sometimes to sit, keep your mouth shut and just get along. But uh, mm-hmm. I feel like I write because well, I like it, you know, and I, I have to in a way in order to get it out there. Otherwise, it'll rattle the poems or whatever they are will rattle around in my head all the time. But um, mm-hmm. I also feel that... Um, you know, I, I write sometimes just to keep up with my peers. You know, I went a long okay. time with not writing anything. And then um, 
when I um, needed to get up at uh, poetry cir- circles or other gatherings of poets, I couldn't just stand there and recite Chaucer. I needed to have something original. <laughs> I had to yes, I understand. I do understand. <laughs> Here's a fun question I, for I, you. We don't, do don't do it for the money, although I, I actually have gotten paid a couple of times. But <laughs> normally, we don't pay. <laughs> Well, here's a fun question. What would you choose as a writer, as your, as your mascot, avatar, or spirit animal? Hmm, probably. Oh, that's a very, very good question. The coyotes they are out here in New Mexico, and I just saw a small pack of them. I was walking my dogs a few minutes before this. And uh, so I think I would I'd probably take the coyote because he's a trickster. And he's wild. Okay. Blends into the background, but when he needs to let you know he's there, he really, really lets you know he's there. You know, he howls. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine seeing a coyote, much less a pack of them. <laughs> I mean, that's just not been my experience. <laughs> I think, though, honestly, um, if I, based on experience, if I had to take a spirit animal, it might have to be a female elk because uh, a female elk. Ago, mm-hmm, you know, people think of elk as beautiful animals that you see at a distance, but where I live in the mountains, I see them very close. They even walk up to the edge of the house you know and uh one time three years ago i was walking by the edge of the woods and um i wasn't paying any attention i was actually making up a poem in my head suddenly i looked up my dog ran past me ran back to the house out of the woods and i saw a female elk charging me and they very great a very long leg it came uh, to within, I would say, three feet of me, and I got behind a tree. <laughs> I oh. never looked to eyes that had such coldness and rage and no interest in friendship. What I think happened, and eventually, you know, I, I, I'm not dead, so eventually I got out of it. Yes, but, but yes. But it did. But um, the, the animal um, was undoubtedly, as a ranger, you know, forest ranger told me, undoubtedly protecting her newborn calf, who was probably mm. buried in leaves near where I was standing. And so you can totally understand it. It's a fierceness uh, and a need to do at even the risk of your own destruction because she didn't know if I didn't have a gun, you know, that um, that you will preserve what's right, preserve your family, preserve your child, and preserve life. And, um, you know, I sometimes feel the poet should be willing to risk almost anything to preserve the truth, preserve life. So, wow. fortunately, uh, a, beautiful woman, a beautiful woman intervened and yelled very sternly in a high school teacher's voice at that animal and threw a stick. And the animal went away. So I'm, oh, wow. I'm here to talk to you. I didn't get to Yes, talk. you are. And I am so glad that you're here to tell me about it, that you live to tell the story. Thanks. Wow. We have time for one more poem. Just one more. And you have a vast collection, so it's gonna, I'm sure it's going to be hard to choose one, but we have time for just one more. <laughs> just one. Okay. Um I'll do this. It's from a, the next book I do will be called Afterburner. Uh, I don't know when it will come out, but it will sometime soon. And um, this poem is from that collection. And um, it is called Asuf. Okay. Asuf, or Nomad No More. And it is dedicated to uh, Ibrahim, the great poet of the Kinariwan rock band from Mali. Uh, and to Fatuma. They are the Tuareg Tamashek poets. Anyway, Asu, Nomad No More. 
The word asu translates from Tamashek as tristesse or maybe longing. But neither translation quite gets it. Maybe nostalgia comes close, but the blues hits the mark better. If those blues are played on steel with a real broken, bloodied bottleneck. On the morning after Junior Kimbrough's Mississippi juke joint burned down, those blues were birthed in Africa after all. Yet, you have to have loved the Sahara for 20 centuries. It's deserts, oases, caravan routes, warriors, women, children, and music to truly feel Asu. The indigo draped nomads, they say, it's everything that lies beyond the campfire. Everything we know and that we cannot know. How little we knew then in our own wandering days when we too were nomad of how now we would be nomad no more. Roaming only in mind, in heart, our bodies static in a mortgage land bought on faith as safekeeping for our dreams, a place where those dreams slowly frayed, dried, softly died. It's like when you try so hard to get home and the sun begins to or it's like when you ride under stars in some cool desert night and the sun begins to rise, but your camel won't stop, so you nod off, forgetting fear, holding to the only song you still hold dear. Nakid Mahajakya Asuf Elalan. What can I do with this eternal longing? Allah what can cool a heart that burns that song? Okay. Wow. Bill, what piece of yeah. advice would you give to your readers? What advice would you give them? When they pick up your book, uh-huh. what advice would you give them? When they pick up my book in order to understand it, uh, just plug yes. in anywhere. No need to go from the beginning forward, although I would hope eventually you will. But I would say just okay. flip open to and read that. And also, mm-hmm. I would advise them, read the poems out loud. to your, Even okay. if you stay silent, but mouth them in your mind. Yeah, they're meant to be read out loud. Wow. All right, I like that. Where can listeners find your work? Um, on Amazon.com, um, it's definitely there, um, both books, uh, Awe and uh, Heartbreak Ridge on Amazon. You can also um, buy them in many bookstores. Uh, I, I prefer people buy them in bookstores. Uh, and failing that, if uh, people send me a, a note, um, you know, I'm, I'll be glad to send them a book. Well, I'll sell the book or trade it. Uh, they could well, that's, email me. Okay, email you where? That's my next question. How can listeners stay in touch? Email you where? Uh, email. Uh, want me to read my email address? It is, yes, that'd be nice. Uh, my, okay. uh, lowercase b i l l underline n e v i n s at yahoo.com. Um, you could also reach me uh, via um, Facebook, uh, either my own Facebook page, which is Bill Nevins, that's the name, or uh, the Voz Clara, V-O-C-L-A-R-A, Voz Clara Poetry and Song Project, and you can also reach me there. All right. Finally, what's next in the works for you? Where do you go from here? Mm. Well, um, creatively, you know, I, I just uh, I just 
wrote a magazine story in the New Mexico Kids magazine about youth poetry in New Mexico and kind of it's just not a poem it's a long story which also includes poetry by some of the youth and in the course of that I learned a lot about um, the wonderful youth that are coming up the programs to encourage them including the uh, youth um, youth poet laureate program that Amanda Gorman was leader of or a you know a product yes. of and it's a good symbol of um, and uh, so I, I'm encouraging that I both in the nation and also here in our city of Albuquerque I'm encouraging that to be developed here um, I also am organizing uh, poetry gatherings and readings for you that Vos Clara group that I mentioned that I, I found it uh, both online through Zoom and Facebook and also uh, through uh, in person when, when COVID permits. I also read my poetry and I, uh, you know, I hear of my colleagues on Cultivating Voices Live, the wonderful every Sunday afternoon uh, online poetry program run by my good friend Sandy Yanon. Um, so I'll be, I'll be doing that. I'm going to write more poetry. Uh, keep going. I, I've begun to copyright, uh, you know, to register songs with, uh, mm-hmm. writing songs, you know, and some of my poems will become songs and I'm collaborating with people who can play music better than I can. And I'm not very good at it. Oh, wow. <laughs> but I All right. All right. <laughs> so there you go. And I'm I'm oh. hoping to keep uh you know keep living and breathing and having a nice holiday yeah. season. As I hope you will, Bill. <laughs> I think you're great. Thank you. And I am so That's glad good. that I've made your acquaintance. Well, you're I a powerful poet, my friend. We'd love to see you in person. Yeah. Yes, I'd love to visit New Mexico. It's one of the states I've yet okay. to visit. I've always wanted to go to Albuquerque and Santa Fe. That's where I want to go. <laughs> you've, got a, you've got a place to stay and a bunch of friends here. So we'll hope to see you soon. Well, there are coyote running around, so I don't know if I want to stay at your house. <laughs> Packs of coyotes. <laughs> nothing personal. Nothing personal. Nothing personal at all. But <laughs> don't worry about them. But you, you want to worry about them. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, to our listening, <laughs> to our listening audience, I'd like to say thank you for tuning in. Bill Nevins is the man, the man of the hour. I want to thank him so much. I want to thank those who tune in so much, and as I share with everyone every week, let poetry ring throughout the land. Take care and be safe and good night, everybody. All right. Adios. You have just listened to the quintessential listening poetry online radio podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And make sure to catch our next episode.